0: In this episode, we will explore an important issue, corruption. How do you define corruption? Does it differ depending on where you are? How does it relate to conflict? In this conversation, such questions are raised, and we will talk about them by exploring the Panama Papers, or at least starting there. This is your host, Meredith Smith, and I'm excited to be joined here at WKCR with the renowned and distinguished negotiator, professor, and scholar, Mr. Jinnik Radon. Professor Radon is an alum of Columbia University and now teaches here in the School of International and Public Affairs. He brings an impressive background in sustainable development and extractive industries. He has now lectured and or led projects in over 60 countries, including having served as the key foreign advisor and negotiator of the multi-billion and multinational oil and gas pipelines from Azerbaijan to Georgia to Turkey, known as the BTC. And also he's participated in the constitutional peace process of Nepal. Radon Law Offices, a boutique international law firm based here in New York, was co-founded by him in the early 1980s. He continues to run it today and, As I think you'll hear from our conversation, he brings a legal perspective and a nuanced one to his projects, including this one, his new timely seminar course offered here at Columbia titled The Panama Papers. So, let's get into it. Professor Radon, uh, Jinnick, if I may, why don't we start out with you telling us how you got interested in this subject?
1: Actually, uh, the way I got interested in this subject wasn't the fact of the Panama Papers because I saw the Panama Papers and the disclosures that they brought as a catalyst for some of the work that I've been doing. Uh, As you noted, I'm very much in sustainable development on extractive industries in particular. And in that regard, one of the things which is totally normal in extractive industry If you want to work in Tanzania, Uganda, Peru, it makes no difference. There are two standards that uh, are always listed in the documents. That means in the law. A company needs to be technologically capable and financially capable. So in other words, you need to know who the company is. And many of these companies are created just for the purposes of the extractive industry. And then there's the question that you can't be corrupt. You're not supposed to be corrupt. So who owns these companies? And too often you see, especially for the smaller ones, you see a company that's been created in the Cayman Islands and Bermuda, etc. Then you ask who owns them. You don't know and the disclosure sometimes of the ownership is less than 5 If it's more than 5%, you're supposed to disclose it. Less than 5 you don't. But still, who owns the company on top of the company? So the lack of knowledge of the real owners, who are called the beneficial owners, is something that's been, uh, uh, let's say, of concern to me for many, many years because I see what goes on in the extractive industry. So when the Panama Papers hit, With uh, the concept of, look at all these companies created in the BVIs, Cayman Islands, or wherever, that are hidden companies, I got interested because I said, this works along with what I've been doing from the extractive industry. And that's one of the neat things about the class. The class is using Panama Papers, the disclosures, as a catalyst to raise a lot of issues.
0: Let's first talk about some of these basics of the Panama Papers. For our listeners that don't know what the Panama Papers are, okay. can you give us just some okay. basics?
1: Uh, the basics of the Panama Papers is the largest, dis- let's say, disclosure. It's either been hacked or an inside. No one really knows where all the information came from. In other words, how it got there, to be more accurate. But it's the largest disclosure of materials ever so far in the modern world, larger than any other leaks that have been.
0: 11.5 million.
1: Something or other, yes, exactly. It's the largest data leak. Larger than all the other leaks combined. So and there's been another recent leak that no one even paid attention to. Bahamas leak. Canadians paid attention because a lot of Canadians are mentioned in that one. So for it's. The largest leak, and it's a historical leak, too, because it has documents for up to over 40 years of how companies were created through Panama, some in Panama. But the largest number of companies were not in Panama. They're actually in the BVI's. So it talks about a law firm. It could have been another agency. It happened to be a law firm that created companies That didn't really, at the whole, because too many companies were created, check on who the people behind it is. So to me, the uh, thing about the Panama Papers is who it disclosed as the owners of companies that before were never disclosed. They were hidden owners at best, secret owners.
0: Before we go more into the the people and what has happened to these people, are all offshore
1: structures, um, are they illegal? Okay, I like. That is the salient question and one that I will, uh, let me say, look at it from a different point of view. In my class, and obviously I created it out of a thin air, so to speak. In other words, I had to curricul- create a curriculum on materials for the Panama Papers. The Panama Papers is used as a euphemism because that's what the journalists called the Panama Papers. But in the very first class that I had, we have a topic called Morals, Ethics, and Law. What is law is not necessarily uh, ethical because uh, it's agreed, but, for example, go back to uh, World War II and before. The prime example I have, the country of my birth, Germany. They had a requirement that every Jew had to have a Star of David on them. That was to identify, and we know what happened there. So that was not really an ethical law, one that you should violate in order to self-preservation. So the question is, if it's legal, it doesn't make it right. And that's one of the issues that I challenge in there because there's many gaps in lawmaking. And I don't like the term gaps, but gaps mean that there are things to get around, but is it really right to get around it? So to me, it's an ethical question in the first order.
0: And how do you define corruption?
1: Ah, that's a problem because we, there's two ways of looking at it. One is in the common literature. Corruption is pretty much anything that seems to, uh, including fraud within companies. But technically, corruption as a legal term, and I'm a lawyer, so I'm sorry, I have to use legal terms, involves both a private actor and a public actor. So that means uh, a private actor is bribing or somehow uh, getting the public actor, which is a government official, uh, to do something that they shouldn't be doing. If we're two private corporations and I bribe you, that's technically not corruption. It's not permitted by law, but it's technically not corruption. So the aspect that I'm only focusing on is where there's a private and a public actor.
0: So the— There's nothing really criminal about the Panama
1: Papers. Not per se, because uh, you could be a citizen in one of a country, create a company offshore uh, that's not uh, permitted. You don't even have to disclose it. Uh, But let me give you an example. Uh, One of the fallouts, and it's a recent fallout uh, one, is in Iceland, which is a Nordic country, uh, the prime minister, when the Panama Papers uh, leaked, resigned. Technically... He did nothing illegal as such, and I'll explain why he had to resign. His wife owned the company, which he had transferred to her. She paid the taxes on the money she earned out of this offshore company. So she complied technically with the laws of Iceland. What was missing is that he was negotiating with the holders of the bonds which they had invested in. They had actually lost money. And he didn't disclose that. So he didn't disclose that he was effectively sitting at both ends of the table. So uh, the more money Iceland agreed to pay he would uh, benefit, in other words, have less of a loss. So the question of w- what is corruption here was not. And some of the other places, like in Pakistan now, where it is uh, an issue now, even in front of the courts, is where they some of them may not even been allowed to have companies like this. So what is illegal depends upon which country you're looking at, etc. So let's focus
0: on this Icelandic prime minister yeah. that you brought up. Did he resign because of the public
1: pressure he resigned specifically about the public pressure, the uproar which is typical in a Nordic country which is uh, what I would say a very democratic country, and also a middle class country and the reason I emphasize middle class in the broadest sense of the word middle class is a con- is a place where people make demands. Too often, unfortunately, poor people don't make demands because they don't have time to make demands unless something goes really, really wrong. You need time to think about things, to ask for things. But middle class wants opportunities, and they want to be treated fairly. The poor class, unfortunately, frequently focuses, which they have to, on getting a good education, getting food on the table, getting work. So they don't have, uh, let us say, the luxury of making sort of sophisticated demands of equal opportunity.
0: In teaching this class, and with a journalist, how has it influenced your interest in an approach to corruption?
1: uh, Well, I'll expand on that if if I may. First of all, I will say, irrespective of all my students that hopefully are listening in today, it is the most exciting class I've ever taught. Why? Because in this particular class, I will say every student is engaged. There usually is one or two who try to, you know, sleep, so to speak, okay? No matter how engaging I try to make it. But this one, every student is engaged. Two, it is an extremely diversified class. We have three or four Ph.D. journalist students. Uh, We have four lawyers from the LLM program at Columbia, Uh, So it is quite diversified as far as background. The reason it's being taught with a journalist, for the simple reason, the Panama Papers was a journalistic leak. It exposed it. And I'm finding the synergy between journalism and law and policy that I do as being something that not enough people focus on because they bring to the table – the. Uh, and expose things that we need to correct or should have even maybe thought about before it got to that point. So I find that on the sense of corruption that you raised is the Panama Papers was exposed, including legal things, as you asked, and illegal things. Uh, Many of them, uh, for some countries, clearly Petrobras is examining outright corruption. That means payment of uh, money against services from public officials. So it's made it... Uh, underscored something which I say all the time in my class. In order to combat corruption, you need transparency. And journalism, media, however you wish to do it, is the tool, is the way to expose things. Sometimes it can go overboard because, as you say, some things are legal. Maybe they shouldn't have been exposed, uh, et cetera. But transparency, uh, without transparency, we don't even know what's really happening. That's the key.
0: Do we have good
1: ways to measure transparency? Ah, that's an excellent question. Unfortunately not. Because, for example, uh, Transparency International, which is a highly recognized group, and I do recognize them them, uh, myself in a sense, they do a great job. They do it on perception, okay? And perception could be uh, however you interpret it. And uh, perception also means if you're going to... Uh, compare countries, well, maybe not enough people are working in country X while they're working in country Y. So the perception is that country Y is really uh, corrupt because many people are saying or complaining, but they're not enough working in country A that isn't. So perception is not adequate. And you get back to something you've already raised. What really is corruption? You see what I mean? We've made it so broad that everything might be deemed corruption. while it shouldn't be. So uh, we don't have adequate measures of what is corruption. And second of all, in order to measure it, for example, you come to me and uh, I come to you rather and say, have you done anything that uh, smacks of corruption? Well, you're nervous. In other words, you may have done something, but you don't like what you're doing. You'd like to expose it, but if you admit it... uh, The the fear uh, factor, in a way. The fear factor, yes.
0: So it's It seems like, as you've hinted to, it's very context-specific, yes. right? How you define corruption and how there's whistleblowers that push against. Yeah. Was there effective ways for addressing the corruption?
1: Okay. I would uh, like to phrase it differently. As I said, why did I do this class? And maybe I didn't use the right word. I created it because I wanted to be a catalyst, a catalyst to bring the issues out and to keep them alive. That means we need to have regular attention to... It's not really Panama. Panama is just one uh, of the issues. Uh, it's Cayman Islands. It's BVI. It's a lot mm-hmm. of the systems. So for me, what is the uh, uh, importance of the class is the catalyst thing, keeping issues alive. And one of my disappointments is not the class by any stretch of the imagination. is the fact that no one focused on the Bahamas leak which is a much smaller leak, but hardly made the media. So one of the things that I've learned from this class myself is how important it is, which I always realize, but it's something else to look at the mirror and see how necessary it is. If you wish to promote change or promote a better society, you must continuously focus on issues, keep them alive so that discussion and engagement comes so that people of all walks of life participate, let their voices be heard and said, no, we don't agree with this. This law is not good or this is not good, etc. So, But things die out so quickly. Who is um,
0: policing, if you will, and who should be accountable for allowing such space
1: for Uh, Basically, there's uh, many ways of looking at what you're saying is one is I believe in transparency on the whole unless there's a good reason to keep it private. Okay, let me give a different example, and then I'll answer it. Many of us in corporate world sign confidentiality agreements, and we basically say every bit of information I give you is confidential, Why? It's too difficult to stamp, this is confidential, this is not confidential. That takes a lot of work. So it's much easier to have a uh, kind of a kitchen sink approach. Anything you say that I say to you is confidential and vice versa, and then we'll worry about it later. So the whole question of the procedures of doing it and who's to determine is I think we need to have this discussion of getting more transparency out. Should co- uh, let's take something uh, which I started with extractive industry and their companies. As opposed to the United States, where if you have a piece of property and you dig and you find gold or you find oil, it's yours. In most of the world, it's not yours. It belongs to the state or the people of the country. So, therefore, I see no reason why any extractive industry company has hidden owners. Or because why? It's not there. They are doing a service for the country if they want, helping develop it. Two, if they pollute, I need to know who the owners are because I need to go against them if they really pollute. So in that segment... Everything should be open. Anybody can see and say also, hey, look who you are dealing with. Mm -hmm. And certain other segments, uh, for example, if you're doing biotech. Well, you don't. Let me, if I may, push back
0: a little bit or just probe, probe more into. So if you see in a country where the owners are not being disclosed, right, for an oil company what would you do? What is a way okay. to bring light or bring transparency to the issue?
1: Okay, one thing which I have espoused, but I will be quite open. I have not gotten traction, but I keep being persistent and espousing. In the, uh, I said, the uh, laws regulate the licenses that are given for mining for oil exploration. And in, it's less of a problem, actually, in oil exploration because uh, on the whole, but in mining, it's a severe problem. So, it should not just say uh, technologically capable, financially capable. They should also say list all owners, including all beneficial owners. And that should be a requirement in the law. You can police it up to a point. And if you lie, because you can't If it's a private company, you have to know who the owners are. I'm a very simple person. So if you make a mistake, we don't want to just give you a fine. In fact, we never want to collect a fine. We want deterrence. We don't want you to lie. So where I get no traction is if you lied, you lose the entire asset. So that will force you to not consider it a business decision that will force you to say, I got to keep this current. I got to be accurate because the penalty, which I don't want to collect, I just want you to be honest about it. uh, I have to disclose the owners. So the only way to get it is having a force of law behind the requirement, not having a requirement where you say, well, okay, the fine, I can live with the fine if I'm caught. So I want to
0: um, pull out one comment that you had shared with me in regards to our approach at AC4 to focus on uh, conflict and cooperation and complexity. Yeah. And you had talked about how corruption is a motor for
1: conflict. And uh, it absolutely is. Because let, let's, let's envision that uh, I got my license by paying somebody else off. And now you found out about it, and uh, I might be willing to live with it, that means the company, but the public official might not. Uh, Or maybe I'm not. Well, then I have to start protecting myself. And when I start protecting myself, I get insecure. It's a psychological thing. If I'm a pinstripe person, I probably don't do anything. I probably try to hide. But if I'm less than a pinstripe person, or I say, I might start getting violent, trying to shut you up. So the point is the corruption breeds other tactics to try to stop, if you want, whistleblowers, etc. Uh, It also means something else. If I've bribed you, we're both... I have you under my control indirectly because if I expose you, of course I'm exposing myself, but you also have me under control. So therefore it means other, in other words, I know some information about you. You know that I've been corrupt too. You can expose me. So therefore we start building up a whole shadow of how to hide what we've been doing and as one thing leads to a next. So that's why I say corruption is the element. And by the way, if you're a public official who's been corrupt... Who else are you paying off? You usually can't do it by yourself, so it starts doing that way. So you create a dependency uh, that way. So it, and it's a cultural attitude. If I know or feel that you are corrupt as a public official, the ordinary citizen says, "Why not me? I have to pay off, etc." So it's a, it's a cultural element. Can you tell me more? What types of conflict?
0: You're talking about okay the conflict
1: that uh, would be a different one if you take for example uh, places everything is diverse from Peru to different Africa to African countries that the ordinary person who actually is not at the table a lot of times, there's no community consent in the real sense of the word, if they feel that they're not being fairly treated and they feel that that official, or there was one case in Peru that uh, may negotiate on behalf of the community. He turned out to have been, uh, it's not been fully documented, but apparently he was being paid off by the mining company. That's so been reported. Well, then the ordinary person has two things, put their head in the sand or react. And that's where the conflict starts. So in other words, if I see you as the mayor acting in one capacity and seeming to live better than what your income says, and the only thing I can surmise, because I don't really know, that you were paid off by officials, uh, not officials, by companies, then I start reacting. And I worry about that as the conflict that, especially in the extractive industry, the ordinary person is not at the table. They have no way to police, and they don't even understand contracts. But they do have a a common decency on the whole, and they react if they don't think they're being treated fairly or if they uh, see a smoking gun. It may be a false smoking gun, but it's an important one. So they take matters into their own hands, and that's the thing that I worry about. That's the conflict.
0: Okay. And how about the situation with the corruption index? You know, there's different measures. There's this corruption index where it will tell you different countries and a lot of the elements that you've been talking about with trust and transparency takes these things. A lot of it is perception of people's trust in the government. Um, So if on this scale I think Somalia is the highest, do you think that if
1: the level of corruption is at the highest, that conflict is also the highest? It may not, I don't know, uh, I've looked at that, actually. Uh, It's very interesting. I don't necessarily say that it's always at the highest, but we have to worry about something else. Uh, If you take the countries of the Arab Spring, Egypt, Libya, Syria, Tunisia, all of them at the end of the day had an element of corruption. If you look at how much uh, some of these leaders had stolen, and there's a uh, concept uh, which is different, the dribble down. Some corrupt leaders actually have, you know, subsidization. They uh, share the spoils. But if you look at how much the person who was head of Libya walked, and uh, not Libya, Tunisia, walked out with and moved to uh, Saudi Arabia, interestingly enough, it was billions. Okay, so people felt something. So I worry about human earthquakes, human volcanoes. So it's not just whether there is violence, whether there is a potential for violence, a potential for conflict, because the worst thing about conflict, once the house is attacked and broken, it takes a long time to rebuild the trust. So we need to prevent as opposed to just uh, stop.
0: One quick question before talking about prevention and hopefully getting some insights from you about that. Um, For what about the case now where there are leaks like the Panama paper leaks and it's kind of there's a somewhat effective civic way of addressing the corruption or is it, you know, by leaking these papers, is that a way instead of the volcano
1: erupting? Uh, uh, yes and no. Okay, it's six of one, half dozen the other. If you look at the BVIs, their number of new incorporations has dropped dramatically. I forgot what the exact percentage is. Their enforcement actions have not really increased. But again, BVI is very small, even if they wanted to enforce their own laws, they don't even have the capacity because they don't have enough people. So, uh Panama Papers, I don't like illegal leaks, and we don't even know if it's illegal or illegal. We don't even know how the data really came out. But I think that uh, we have to, unfortunately, understand if you look at some of the leaks that have now come out on WikiLeaks, it's the name of the game. OK, there is probably no secure system. So at that point, uh, we have to understand that th- somebody may have an interest and it's going to be leaked. So I guess that's an incentive to be if it's leaked, you don't mind that it's leaked because you got nothing to hide. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one way of looking at it. But I also understand that we need privacy. But unfortunately, if you look at the amount of uh, data, as you mentioned, for the Panama Papers, how could any human being? They couldn't. They had hundreds of journalists. I think it, was, it might have even been over 1,000 journalists at different stages looking at it. So how do you figure out what's legal, what's illegal, many different countries, et cetera? Uh, so they threw it out there. Um, and the Bahamas leak is a different one. That one clearly looks like uh, it was hacked. I mean, it's still not because it was government data that was brought out into the open uh, that was not necessarily public. Uh, government registries that were not uh, accessible in the full sense uh, publicly. So I think that whether we like it or not, the new name of the game is leaks. And uh, that has a real problem on the sense of privacy because I think uh, there shouldn't be open ended. We all like a sense of privacy. But then again, maybe we have to start thinking of how do we combine the two. We And remember what I said, for me the Panama Papers is a catalyst. It's an engagement. Let's have some of the discussions that you are raising with your questions, and let's get a common, universal, or at least national consensus on it.
0: Citizens' responsibility, yeah. and hear from you how to prevent corruption or fight against it as a citizen.
1: I I think one is we've you've already addressed, and I'll uh, be repetitive in this regard is demanding more disclosures. Okay? And demanding a standard on disclosures. What should be disclosed? Like I said, for the extractive industry, given the nature of the beast, I don't see why anything as far as ownership is not disclosed. Uh, Along with that, for example, EIAs, environmental impact assessments that all extractive industries have to do, let's put them online. Because uh, do, the, do all these countries have the capabilities to evaluate? And if you go back to the Gulf of Mexico, of BP fame, they handed in a document which was less than an EIA because they had been so good in the past. Well, they were concerned. It's documented. Google, that's a nice modern way. Uh, they were concerned about the seals and the walruses of the Gulf of Mexico. There's a problem. They're only in the zoo. What has been documented, thanks to the media, was that they took a document from the Gulf of Alaska, modern way, find the word Alaska, substitute the word Mexico, and basically they handed in the same document. So what I'm getting at is our citizenship is the more we know, the more questions we can ask. And, for example, going back, if we put every EIA online, maybe the person in Zimbabwe can't understand what this EIA is. But a person of civil society in London, New York, Germany, wherever says, hey, I just read this EIA that someone put out. It says nothing. So therefore, The dialogue, and I'm a believer, the more open, that's where civil society comes in, asking for more disclosure, asking for questions. It's a new form of journalism, if you want.
0: It seems like the media has a key role in making change. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. The media and all of its facets right now.
0: As a final question, um, uh, it seems like you bring a perspective that sees corruption as... A constant. Yes. And it's like this has been happening and it's a problem or it's an element of being human and having yes. society. Um, and that the Panama Papers are,
1: are not new. Unfortunately, if you look at the historical, uh, let's say, documents of China, uh, advisors to the emperor of China or of the various princes in India, 2,000 years ago, the advisors to the emperors or the kings of these dairies said you got a problem there's corruption so it's been around so the question is not trying to eliminate it would be idyllic, I'd be for it the question is try to manage it and ex- minimize it etc that at the end of the day because Unfortunately, yes, it seems to have been around. If it's been around for several thousand years, uh, it's beyond me to figure out how to get rid of it completely. Uh, Maybe in the future some society can figure it out. I can't. I have my own limitations. But I think we can manage it to a more acceptable level, and that's where the role of the media comes in, to make it much more transparent.
0: Do you have any other key uh, takeaways that you would like to give your, your listeners and our community about the ways forward in dealing and managing I
1: corruption? would say one of the keys uh, that I would like to say is, for example, how much do you read in the United States, just for example, on Panama Papers now? Nothing. I have tested uh, on the Bahamas leak, which ca- occurred in September, approximately 100 educated people. There were lawyers, there were businessmen, there were business students, etc. So far, only one even heard of the Bahamas leak. So therefore, I would say that if there's one message is media, please don't just give us the news of the day. Follow up, etc. Keep these issues alive. Do your public service. And society, keep asking for the follow-up, what happens, etc. so that we don't always have to look at what's new. We want to look at what's old and is it being corrected.
0: Hearing our conversation today, this is Antonio Ortiz, who is a student in the School of General Studies here and has a question for you.
2: Yeah, so recently, it seems like in the news uh, with the the upcoming elections and um, the pardon-Snowden movement has come about where there seems to be increasing interest in uh, uh, what's going to happen with Edward Snowden. Uh, Did he do the right thing for, you know, leaking the information that he did? How did it help, um, you know, Americans uh, with regards to improving privacy? And um, so uh, with regards to... um, the, this kind of interest in the pardon Snowden movement. I'm just thinking if, if um, there's any thoughts on, um, on on this topic and, and how it relates okay. to what's considered private and what's considered, you know, okay. le- le- with uh, the leaks.
1: The former uh, Attorney General of the United States, after that's Eric Holder, after he became a private citizen again, said, uh, and that was um, put into the papers that, uh, and it's almost a contradiction that Snowden. Uh, did a service, but he also uh, violated the law, okay? So the question really that I think you're asking is not really whether he should be pardoned. I don't think that's the ultimate question. Uh, I think the question is if Eric Snowden or anybody else uh, saw something that was not legal in the sense, forget whether it's ethical now. We're talking about legalities at this point. How would he, since the what he's disclosed was done at the top levels of uh, the organization, that seems to be, have been clear. So the question then comes, how do we establish procedures so that, uh, quotes a whistleblower can bring it out Totally independently and not suffer consequences, because many whistleblowers have, um, and so that these issues are addressed, because what he did, sadly and unfortunately, is extreme there has to be a better method that polices the policeman, so to speak, uh, because otherwise I can police myself very well. I like myself, so I'm very generous with myself. Uh, So that's the real issue. So I'm going to be fence-sitting the way Eric Holder was fence-sitting, saying that we need to balance the two the discussion has started. I think they went overboard. Uh, that and that's been shown by the leaks of it. But he's also caused harm, national security harm. So the question is, how does the two come? And one of the things that uh, Meredith used before is a word that says everything and says nothing: trust. What is trust? But one, the problem with trust is once it's broken. It's very hard to redeem, to build up again. Uh, so that if you break the trust, then people don't know whether they can trust you next time. It takes years. So that's one of the elements. And I think what Snowden has done is uh, he's questioned whether we can trust public officials because they, they're they supposed to be above it all, so to speak. Uh, and so... Uh, but it also raises another element which you have addressed is what's confidential. As I mentioned before, even in corporate life, to be honest, I can't get my companies that I represent to say what's confidential, what's not. If I know how to create, let's say, a cell phone, I have that, I can package it. But if I'm telling you, hey, I got this new idea on how to create the new super smartphone. And here's the rudiments of that. Well, is that confidential? Be, uh, the elements, do I have to, etc. So how to take these pieces is very, very difficult. I'm not even sure it's possible. But I think we've gone overboard in laboring, labeling everything confidential because not everything is confidential uh, because that's the easy way out. And the reason, I think, is because we haven't challenged ourselves and it will cost money. Imagine if I told a company, okay, well, we're going to have a confidentiality agreement and we will then say what is confidential, what's not. Uh, you will have to have me sitting next to you all the time. I will say, this is confidential, please note. This mm-hmm. is not confidential, this is not. I may I become Gerch because I'm going to be sitting there.
0: Is that how it works at Raiden Law offices? Uh, <laughs> no,
1: uh, but uh, what I'm getting at is Always think of the time, the effort, et cetera. That would take, whether it's a uh, rate and law officer, that's not the consequence. You would need someone else to always look at it. Uh, is this confidential? Is this not? You, I'm dealing with a techie. Do you, what is this one? And a lot of times also what happens is, and let's go back, which I didn't talk about, is biotech. One of the things you want to keep confidential is that you're working on a new cure for something like that. You've invested in it. So if I know that Johnson & Johnson is looking at a cure for this type of cancer, someone else may say, oh, my God, there must be something. They know that it's possible. So I start looking at the literature. So the mere knowledge that you're doing it is valuable to me. Uh, Okay, and if I want to invest in your stock, ah, I I think uh, you got the talent. I may be wrong that you have the talent. So I think this is something that we need to start addressing because not everything can be confidential, et cetera. And I've had experiences myself uh, where uh, people want to talk to me and say they can't and and then it turns out that what they're talking about is so well known in the industry that it's not confidential at all. So where we draw the line, uh, we need that one and it's industry specific. It's government-specific, etc. It can't be that everything is. There's so much more to, to
0: explore. You know, thank you, Tony, for your questions, too. And I think there, we should have another conversation about accountability. And, and
1: you're right. Uh, uh, parents, uh, one of the things, if I may end, is the following. Is uh, I'm a slow learner. I'm only now learning what my parents taught me. So in one of the lessons that I learned from my parents, especially from my mother, that was the most valuable, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. That's also part of our discourse. In other words, uh, every one of us have different baggage, different backgrounds. Words mean different things. So I think uh, mother's wisdom, father's wisdom, I found whether it's in India, in China, Vietnam, Africa, apparently parents' wisdom is pretty identical around the world. It's time we learned it.
2: <laughs> Thank you. I'm tempted to ask one more question about um, going back to what we, what you were, you were talking about earlier um, about how, for example, when there is corruption, there's, it can lead to a chain reaction. One person is, you know, they have secrets and they're, 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 they're doing something uh, corrupt with one of their colleagues and then it just spills down. So I think um, just thinking about, like, the elections that are coming up, a lot of people are concerned about ethics and also about... You know, character. For example, with um, with 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 Donald Trump, there's there's concerns about some behaviors surrounding with with women that may or may not have happened. Um, Hillary Clinton, there's questions about um, the email situation. And I'm wondering how do how do people weigh in? I guess um, the idea of ethics and and sort of um, character and and. Should 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 we be paying attention to these kind of side stories uh, okay. that we're hearing, or does that weigh into? Uh,
1: let me do it this way. First, morals are your morals. Morals are individual. Ethics are community-based, and law is what we enact, okay? I've already given the example that not all laws are ethical laws. Ethics, I think you should. In other words, people act a certain way. And we need to evaluate. Uh, people can change. I'm not saying that they can People do learn. We all learn from mistakes. I mean, I think of the first. Uh, let me give you a funny story about myself. Uh, way back when, when I was five years old, still in Germany, I wanted to go to the movie. So I went to my mother, asked her, can I go to the movie? And it was around the corner. She said, sure. So she gave me money to buy a ticket and uh, to get some candy. So I went to my father. I said, I'd like to go to the movie. He <laughs> gave me some money to buy the ticket and to get candy. Then I went to my grandmother, gave her the same story, and I wound up with three <laughs> different uh, <laughs> amounts. Then I came, went to the movie, bought candy, lots of it, Came back, and I proudly showed my parents how much money I had left over, (laughs) which was a physical impossibility if I only had one of them. So uh, my parents, I'm sure, explained to me that when I went from my mother to my father and from my father to my grandmother or vice versa, I should have let them know that uh, I also already had been by the other person collecting all these nice little amounts. So I learned. Okay. I, did, uh, I didn't do that, but I was also honest enough to say, hey, look, I collected three times my allowance, effectively. Thank
0: you so much. I know you have a couple exciting projects that you're going to be working on over winter break and into the the spring um, with two projects, one in Namibia.
1: Mm-hmm. One in Peru, and, and a third one in Mauritius. Ooh. Oh Well, I'm doing that indirectly, but I'm doing it.
0: Amazing things ahead of you, and I'm Look forward to following your career and where you go next, both here at Columbia and beyond. Thank you so much for joining me here today.
1: Okay, thank you.